0: are live
1: yes we are
0: everybody my name is craig or crafty from craftworks distillery and the other three people on the panel tonight are, if we go to the well my left is paul mcclay ceo of the australian distillers association g'day paul
2: hi craig thanks for having me on
0: Good, mate. I'm glad you're here. We've got a lot to talk about. Looking forward to it. Great. Well, uh, and then um, in the top left on my screen is Bostek, the man who holds us all together, loves a good drink, loves a good chat, and loves to fix a bit of IT on the side and personal consultant to me on my issues. G'day, Luke. How are you,
1: bud? There are some of your issues that I just can't <laughs> help with. <laughs> i'm Let's... i'm i'm good but i'm sick so i figured alcohol will will fix that right, we'll... we're about to find out we will <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: and then on the right hand side is my good mate and my right hand man or left hand man depends on how you view it is todd that's Todd craftworks how are you bud yeah, I'm good. What are you I'm up well.
3: to?
0: What's happening in your world?
3: Just sitting here shooting the
0: shit. Shooting the shit. And that's what we're doing. That's it. So, for those who don't know, this is uh, a little podcast, <coughs> video cast, whatever you want to call it, uh, that we put together during COVID. Uh, we thought it was a good opportunity to get people in the industry together, have a bit of a chat. And predominantly craft distillers, but tonight it's a little bit different. Tonight we have Paul, who is from the Australian Distillers Association, uh, or the ADA as it's known. So uh, Paul, let's let's start with you, mate. But actually, before we do that, what are you drinking?
2: Oh, actually, I'm um, I'm drinking husk bam bam. Uh spice rum. Uh spice rum it's it's fantastic so um you know native obviously uh they're up in Tumbalong, you know the northern new south wales uh yep. most people kind of know husk with their um their purple gin the um oh the uh, ink gin yes gin. so in- same same family um yep. beautiful product and this lovely spiced gin uh spiced rum uh is uh, magnificent it's, it's if not the best uh rum on the market. Um but I am a little bit low, so I do have a backup of um a bit of old fashioned Bundaberg because um once I start rum I start rum and I also like I'm not sure if you've tried it. Have you tried the Long Ray's dark soda? Yeah. I don't know is, this is a game changer product, right? Like when we mm. think whiskey and, and rum it's like with either straight on the rocks if you want to mix it, you're basically with water, ginger ale, or, or, or Coke or Cola, right? This this is a new product, Queensland company. It is the really low in calories, really light in flavour. It's smoked vanilla and cola nut. It's a game changer. Like it's the best brown spirits mixer, on. Mm. I, I really I really love what they've done. Australian company, and they've worked well with Australian, particularly the Queensland um, rum makers. Uh, to make mm. a beautiful product, and uh, I think they really, really captured it. So I'm having a huff and uh, long race. It doesn't take anything away from the uh, the rums, so and mm. with Australian whiskey as well. Nothing overpowering, really light in calories. Great job.
1: It is amazing. Yeah. When I first tried that, I think Crafty and I tried it at the same time. We were at a new bar that opened up just down the road from us in uh, in Helston Park, um, yeah, sure. and. Ah, uh, he's going to kill me that I've forgotten his name. But it's it's the cold and flu meds. That's, that's the only reason I've forgotten. Um, but I remember he gave us a taster of the um, yeah the the dark soda there. And oh my God, I don't like mixes with yeah. whiskey generally. But holy hell, that was good. Mm. So it's the long rays. We just had a question come through. from proceed. What's the name of the soda? It's the long rays. Um, dark soda. Dark yeah. soda. Dark,
2: dark soda, surf. yeah. Yeah. I've been going brown soda for a while, not right. It's dark soda. Brown soda doesn't make it sound
1: nice, but yeah. <laughs> uh. yeah it is really good stuff. Yeah.
2: And, and all yeah. of it's great. It's easy to Given <laughs> his name. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. see well, like well, all the other mixes, like some tonics and I really low-sugar like stuff, really none of the powering. All their things yeah. are really light made to bring out the spirit as opposed to making the mix um, of the, mixer, the, the, the mm. uh, which is, uh, I think is respectful, courtesy of the industry. And, yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah,
1: but it's funny, isn't yeah. it?
2: I was kind of like, oh no, here we go. Give me something to ruin my whiskey or my rum. I was like, yeah. I like what you've done there.
1: It takes it to a whole nother dimension that mm. is, uh, I was not expecting. Mm. Um, I was expecting a very much... Uh, like a a Johnny Red and Coke type scenario uh, where it's just sickly sweet and revolting, not my flavour profile. But I'm like, oh, that's really good. Uh, Mm.
0: No, it works. It works really well. In fact, I wish they had one now because uh, I'm (laughs) on a rum tonight. Oh,
2: good. Oh, beautiful.
0: Um, Yep. I'm the Aisling rum, so I'm getting to the end of this bottle and it's cold night, so it's the Riverina rum, shiraz cask single release so that's mm. my drop what are you on todd what are you drinking
3: well i'm going to start off with uh this one chief's chief suns
0: chief, chief Sons, Sons. yeah yeah
1: now i mean did you pick that up when you at after the uh the ada conference oh yeah i picked it up at at the um our tour our, our mornington mm. peninsula
3: um no. and then we went and we'll finish off with this tonight. So it's Blackgate mm-hmm. um BG 95. Very
0: nice. Bourbon cast feed from memory. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah. So this is yeah, the definitely. I think this is the cast strength
0: one, it's not the the blend that they did. Mm. Yeah. We, we were at the uh the Blackgate uh, World Whiskey Day festivities uh when was it todd two weeks ago wasn't it about
3: two weeks ago yeah
0: two weeks ago and uh yeah no, it was a great night uh a few distillers there and uh just lovers of the spirit and uh the australian product went over really well everyone was uh, having a good time good music good food and uh good spirits weren't they oh, it was best
3: yeah. place to be for an election night i must say yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> with no reception. <laughs> it was a of silence for for a good twenty four hours. It was great. <laughs>
1: oh, the count yeah. was riveting, though. It was riveting. Uh, it was. It was, it was actually a very exciting night, anyway. Like,
0: <laughs> oh, oh damn! <laughs> so so was ours. Needed needed a
1: few drinks, though, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Luke. What do you got, mate? What's in your glass? Uh, um, I've just killed my bottle of uh, the King Lake. Um, yep. this is the, um, the Grady, a Grady stand, which hundred bucks a bottle. Holy crap. It's good for a hundred bucks a bottle. Mm. It's, uh, mm. I, I really don't understand how they price it at that point. Yes, it is a 500 mil. Um, but it's 46%. It's an absolute cracker of a dram and yep. I'm going to order another bottle.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, I know. Yep. Yeah. So Chantelle finish, and, and Sam I'll doing some really good work. Yeah, and then I figure I'll finish this little little fella as well. Yeah. Uh, so little Corolla there. Which one's there? Uh, so uh, I started on the it's it's the XB Barrel House. So um, single malt aged in American oak ex bourbon barrels. That's all it says.
0: Yeah, and it right, was just yeah. a little
1: uh, little bottle that they had on the side. I thought I'm going to buy that. So yeah. it's, it's good. Nice. It's good. A
2: lot of New South Wales being represented tonight. So obviously you've got your um. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's only three, there. three of
0: us, so. <laughs> yeah, <You know laughs> I mean, like the You know, only need two to pick New South Wales in there. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think Sun's the only one not from. Oh, and Kinglake, obviously. King, uh, Lake, yeah, Victoria,
1: King
0: Lake, yeah, Victoria. Lake, yeah. Victoria.
1: Yep. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, absolute cracker and online. So, it looks like we've got um, some I am being drunk. All right, Um, that's another New South
0: Wales. That's that's me, yeah, Yeah.
1: from a little, little no name distillery in
0: the the back of nowhere,
1: yeah. Uh, (laughs) and uh, yeah, the Corra is a new experimental range. It's a, yeah, there's a a few of them.
3: Um,
1: right, I saw the little bottle, I went, I like little bottles. So I'm going to buy the little bottle. And it even yeah, came awesome. in it even came in this wicked little little, little, bag. little mm-hmm. baggie. Now I don't know what I do with that now that I'm I'm going to finish the bottle.
0: <laughs> I was going to say Mankini but maybe not.
1: Uh it's not big enough.
0: No, it's <laughs> one if you don't need to see. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough uh, crap. <laughs> let's get on it. The... All right, Paul. Let's let's start, mate. Let's start uh, at the beginning. Um, so before the ADA, um, so you're CEO of the of the ADA. Um, prior to that, where did you start, and how did how did you get into the industry?
2: Okay, so I think um, look, great question. And for the record, for those that are wondering, what the hell is the ADA? The ADA is something that we're used to the organisation. We now don't call it ADA anymore. It's oh, really?
0: Um,
2: Didn't know that. Now call it Australian Distillers, uh, and it's partly it's just branding, right? But it's we're a growing industry. If you're in the know and you've been to lots of conferences, you know what ADA is. But for those that are new and wanting to join and find out more more about it, and someone says you should join the ADA, what happens is they go off and they Google. They're kind of going, was it ADA or? That? and you just get dentists and prosthetic devices and you get you get to about page eight and you'll find a strain distillers association um so in order to kind of make the organization more accessible to more people we're just saying well what is it you know where are the so we're still the strained distillers association um right. but we're just trying to say just break the habit of saying ada and actually just call it strain distillers um with that we've had some pretty significant growth uh, but. Back to your question, Uh, I've had a background in um, uh, trade unions, advocacy, member-based organisations, politics, parliament, you know, small known fact, I used to be the Minister for Waterways a long time ago, but um, through the politics and then getting to governance and working with organisations on how to make sure they run more efficiently, effectively and meet their obligations and doing governance reviews, particularly member-based organisations, I ended up doing a few reviews for the al- alcohol category in the sector. Uh, and I did the liquor stores and the companion industry bodies. And then when it came to the stage two or so years ago, um, when the Australian Distillers Association decided to uh, do a pre budget submission with Spritz and Cocktails, they said, Well, what are the excuse me, cocktails is the big body for predominantly the global companies but more and more australian companies are joining them as well said well where's the resources to kind of support the campaign and they said well we're going to hire someone and we will hire someone but then COVID hit and we've kind of just slowed everything down so they said well can you just go and hire someone and worst case you know we you know we'll pay them for a few months to get through this campaign so they went oh okay and they hired me going to a point of view they were like this is fine, because us nothing, they can pay. If you get something, you get something, if you don't. Um, I think Stu Gregor said uh, to the board, it's always good to gamble, it's better when it, he says, it's always good to gamble if it's someone else's money. Um, and uh, so in the end, uh, I was engaged to help, well, just basically, initially it was just about uh, a fair and sustainable tax campaign. Uh, and that's when we did engagement with members, uh, build a campaign around um, uh, running a, you know, engaging members to engage with the local MPs. Uh, we had a do a campaign. We had people uh, involved in media about what is the impact of the tax because the tax policy settings for Spirits were written 20 years ago. And it was basically a fake tariff, you know, like it was a, just a tax on Gordon's June and Johnny Walker. And But now. 25 years later, there's 400 Australian businesses caught up in it um, and um, employing thousands of people. And these tax policy things are a noose around our neck, probably the third highest tax in the world. It's going to be a handbrake to growth. So um, from there, I got in, uh, uh, worked with Australian fillers to coordinate a voice um, and did that advocacy work directly into Canberra Someone with obviously with a governance and political background understood those cycles uh, and the language that they like to use uh, and also to, uh, to basically give voice to australian fillers that were um had many had gone before me um and had you know had 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 significant successes um in in advocacy work around um you know particularly people like Cam Syme and, 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 and countless others um, and what we we're able to do was just a bit of case of timing was right. We we're able to get in and we we're able to lift the, what was a $100,000 rebate to a full remission to $350,000. Um, and then when that happened, it was a case of the organisation said, okay, let's hire someone uh, full time um, because tax is still a very big part of their role, but there's also so many issues facing the industry. And we can't expect our volunteers to do all of it, so um, that's why those that engaged me. And obviously, I worked with Mima. Many of you, would, many of you uh, viewers, who was our um, executive officer for eight and a half years, uh, and um, uh, um, uh, and so worked with her and, and the members and the, and the committee of management is you know, one of the most generous boards you could ever work with. So, a lot of time, a lot of advocacy, and a lot of work. So, it was really good timing, and then. Building on it from there, and then you know, do little things like run a successful conference, and most people thought it was pretty good. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, it
0: so you, must great be, you must be feeling quite good about the conference, then. Um, I mean, it was it was obviously a well organized conference. There was great feedback. It was great interaction. Great networking. Uh, what was your takeouts for the
2: conference? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think it was really the hunger for people to just say, let's get together. Like people outside our category gotta go, oh, the industry industry was great. COVID must have been great for you. When I read in the paper, people are drinking more and everyone thinks they're drinking more. Like that is just the biggest BS. It was an extremely tough time. There yeah. is not a spirits producer in this country that did not have devastating impact on their business forcing them to have some structural adjustment, doing some things and really got through. Now, obviously, consumer behaviours changed a bit um, and people drink less but better, so it meant that they were willing to try other things. Some of our members were able to pivot to more online sales. Um, consumer behaviours changed in that they wanted grabable stuff and made that cocktails at home. With, um, uh, things. But what it meant was, my point here is that there was a desperation to go, let's just get together. Can I talk to can I talk to someone else that was in the same boat as me?
3: Yeah. What do you
2: get? Where are we now? And where's the future, right? So the future of the conference was, the focus of the conference was unleash the potential. So it was about, let's get together, give each other a bit of love, and where's the future? So, and I just saw a note come up, someone said it was incredible, and that was the most important thing from my point of view, giving an incredible experience. That was accessible, you know, value for money, um, Uh, But but really worried about thinking about, if I can get through this, what's the future? Um, And So that was my biggest takeout, that people wanted to get together and wanted to talk about what's next.
1: Mm -hmm. So what is the, talking about what is next, what was the biggest thing that you saw uh, being raised as where the industry is going to go? And what is the next thing? that the grassroots are looking at as opposed to industry body looking at what did you find
2: okay so i'd like to think as an industry association we're aligned with what our members would like and I've, we'll continue to strive to ensure that we, yep. we do that um, at the same time i think it's also you'll expect uh, myself and the and the board to provide some leadership as well of course i um, i think we try and get that balance right and as a Based organization, we will only thrive if we get that dance right. Um, I think people do expect some growth. Um, mm-hmm. I think people, I think there's a question mark that, you know, often with us, is unit at saturation point? Can the housing market maintain prices? Um, you know, like there's all these things about uh, will it grow? Short answer is it's going to grow, right? Whilst we're at 5% of the market, um, of, of spirit consumption, uh, with that being Australian craft, more at 5%. In a continually growing pie, like even if we stated our point that pie is continuing to grow, um, more consumers are shifting because they're drinking less alcoholic beverages than ever before, but they're drinking better quality. Um, mm-hmm. They're drinking slightly less frequently, uh, but when they are, they're going, I want a premium product. So, people are premiumtising, they're moving away from cask wine and boring beer and trying different things. Um, and in doing that, they're looking for premium uh, products to do so. They're seeing the Australian category as that premium market. So we're at a very low base. The category is going to grow full stop. Our share of that category is going to grow on top of that. Sure, there may be some consolidations and some studies but yeah. They're, hmm. they're People, people sometimes say, you know, there's more uh, distillers in Australia than there is in all of Scotland. And I say, yes, that's a great talking point and we use it all the time. in advocacy. But also Scotland has the same population as Sydney and Scotland has more distilleries than Sydney, right? Um, there's there's, <laughs> there's 3,000 distilleries in the UK. Um, so let's get it in perspective, right? Um, so we are going to grow. So the most important thing is, can we grow? And there's three kind of themes with that. Can we grow it? Can it be safe? Mm-hmm. Can we have? Uh, can it be trained? Can, you know, there's safe courses in and and brewing and wine and all these things. Like, where is where is my entry level and my benchmarking when it comes to educational standards for um, for the for the artisan distilling industry? And then, how can I do so that in a sustainable way? So, it's going to be about uh, safer, better trained, and more sustainable. And that's what allows you to create that, maintain that quality in the Australian product, that provenance in our Australian values. So whilst we're then winning all these global awards, let's sell some of that stuff to the global customers as well. So not only are we going to have growth domestically, but then the capacity is, think about over the horizon, how we're going to really take advantage of that.
1: And does the, um, I mean, tax is obviously one of the biggest issues for Australian distillers, um, a huge slice of profit goes straight to tax uh, and a huge watch of the, the price that we're paying and that the internationals are paying uh, obviously goes to taxes. There's been a bit of movement on that and certainly uh, one of the biggest things that we've heard uh, over, well, since the, the, the tax reduction was that's great, that's really helping but we still need more. I'm assuming it's a step-by-step process. You take what you can get and then you keep plugging away and you take a little bit more and you keep plugging away. Do you have a goal for where you want to get the tax rate to? Yeah, for sure. Um, Because
2: it's about category shifts and it's about when governments send different price signals, they're telling consumers what to do. Mm -hmm. So when the standard drink on cask wine is $0.06 per standard drink, And for bottled wine, it's 23 cents. And for Perry, it's 33. And for cider, it's 35. And the fact that there's a difference between cider made of apple and cider made of pear is strange. But tax is opaque to not just consumer, but often the policy makes it well. Uh, It's at at 35 cents for draft beer. So beer under sold in a pit. And at 51 cents for packaged beer, yet spirits, I need to lift my screen here, right? Like spirits, it's way up here at $1.15 per standard drink. Yeah. I say, is that because the government's saying, don't drink Australian spirits? We want you to drink beer. We want you to drink wine. We want you to drink cast wine. Because if it's not, price signalling, price signalling matters, because it does change people's behaviour. When people mm-hmm. think, oh, I want to shift to this, oh, you're now priced it out. You know, when someone goes to the bar and someone says, oh, can I get a... Whiskey and soda, and they go, Oh, yeah, that's going to be 15 bucks or 12 bucks. And they go, oh, just, you know, I'll give me a beer at 27. These mm-hmm. things, right? So we need to equalize that. My view is, being a pragmatic person, is that let's just freeze our rate. And if it takes beer and wine 20 minutes, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, when we're on a higher rate than beer and the magical compound interest, when that 4% comes in in August, Beer goes up a little bit we go up much more and it mm. keeps going further and further away so by the time you know in, in, in four years time and we get back twice a year in four years time when it's it hundred bucks allow what's that gonna mean for consumer behavior and and I just think this is just it, it, it's it's gonna be a it's a noose that's tightening without being too dramatic maybe that's a bad example so it's a handbrake that keeps tightening yeah
1: yeah yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I can see that really putting an end to the hundred dollar bottle. Mm. Yeah, that's right.
2: And that's the thing about the the, the the full emission of the 350, right? Game changer for so many distillers. Mm. Means their first couple of years are gonna be they means they'll just pay tax and business expenses and everything else like every other business, right? Like there's no special thing. We get mm. a penalty syntax on top, right? So if you are only producing ten or twelve thousand bottles a year, you pay all your corporate taxes and all your other taxes and GSTs the same as everyone else. Once yeah. you get over those ten or twelve thousand bottles, then you start paying this excise. Um, and and I say the fact that when it talks about governments picking, you know, pricingly, why is the tax on a bottle of beautiful? Um, uh, Husk rum, why is the tax on that more than a packet of Winfield blue cigarettes? Mm. And you go mm. why you, so you start by the other premise. Why are you taxing cigarettes? Oh, because we well, don't want people to smoke. Okay. Why is it why is the tax on a bottle of four tin higher? you don't want people to buy Australian gin? And they go, Oh no. No, no. <laughs> right, so we go, what powerful argument. Like, like a volumetric tax, you know, like taxes is taxes, is tax, right? When you get pulled over by, alcohol is alcohol. When you get pulled over by the RBT, they don't go, oh, before we breath test you,
3: hmm. we want
2: to be drinking cast wine or tap hmm. beer or Perry or cider or the cures because um, we'll give you a different RBT rate. And you know, alcohol is alcohol. Um, yeah. When they do standard rigs, they don't go, Oh, 100 for beer is this and what? No, it's the amount of ethanol. not. Why isn't tax the, mm. the same? Exactly, exactly. Whoever's saying that, exactly double standards, right? It's yeah, um, yeah. And, and in the past, there was no Australian voice to say this is broken.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now there's thousands of people, so uh, employed by over 400 businesses and two thirds of us in regional areas. with so a very powerful voice, uh, and it's really about capturing, you know. but. We will only have that credibility to have that discussion if we continue to provide quality product, that is uh, maintaining a standard and in a safe and sustainable way and our people are trained. And that's that's where my focus is in the next three years, maintaining that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that actually so, leads okay. to, sorry, Crafty, another question that's okay. coming from, from the crowd. Do you see there being a minimum standard qualification in the future? Huh, okay.
2: I think before we get to a minimum how about we get to a right like not even just like a minimum standard but actually having one that is available you know you can there are 32 providers that provide a group the brewing artisan just brewing products across australia no one at the moment is providing the artisan uh with, with a stealing version of it well, i've been for the last two years i've been with TAFES and yo's and always when they say what's the size of the market what's the demand is it ready and i give them the the data we've been collecting. It. We did that Deloitte, um, yeah, the Deloitte industry analysis last year, which spirits and cocktails and Australian Distillers Association combined with just eighty thousand dollars to actually drill down: how big is the industry? Where is it located? And, and, and what the standard? They're able to provide this data, um, and they still go, oh, yeah, great, okay, we're thinking of doing it. Thankfully, uh, two things have happened: court cool and pay. I think they're very, very about to be ready. Um, Queensland, there's there's some providers that provide. Uh, there's some great training, by the way, I should say. There's some really good training through um, through through some private providers, and you know you can just think of ADI and, and a few others that are doing some really great jobs. But so there's no one doing it a, a a certificate three or certificate four or four traineeship level. So whilst those those business cases, those how to do the distilling, how to do these things, they're really, really good quality, but I'd really like to get it to a certified national standard. I think Queensland TAFE is going to do it. And then the other thing is this year, through the amazing bread that the Victorian government has given to the Victorian, to the Victorian distilling industry through uh, improvement industry capability through the distilled door grains they're giving enough to fund an industry-owned um, training organisation to build those standards through that national quality framework. So we can at least start by next year, having at least in Queensland and Victoria, uh, the national quality framework um, at, at Certificate 3 level. By the next year, Certificate 4. And that's the kind of thing that I think we'll have New South Wales jump on board, Tassie jump on board, WA jump on board, and then those... And then at the same time, then TAFES can come in and fill those other gaps as well. So uh, I think mm. within a year or two, we'll have that certificate tree. Um, and in, 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 in an industry owned RTO, we'll give us also the capabilities of saying it's not just the national quality framework on the artisan um, field uh, product. We can actually build in the IBD component and the Wesset component. So it's not just a domestically standard portable, it's actually a globally portable. Uh, qualification so if you're someone sitting in Italy or American thinking I want to make how do I become a distiller then why shouldn't they come to Tasmania and mm. learn from Bill Lark and get a national and globally portable uh, training qualification or come to Queensland and, 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 and do my work in some beautiful like 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 at Bean Lee or or or, or Bundaberg and, and go make world class rum. Um, and it becomes a you know a genuinely exportable product at, at that massive at that significant standard. And these standards also are accessible, right? So when it's owned owned and driven by industry, it means that we get to do the modules that make sense to us. Um, mm-hmm. that is in a way that is responsive to industry needs. Uh, and it's done in a way that um, let you have that bite-sized learning. You go. I can either work my way through it slowly, or as or or as planned, but it's got to be a it's got to be on a national framework. It's got to be at that national qualification level, and it's got to be done by reliable RTOs that allow us to do it. And I think we're we're nearly there. We'll we'll get there by the end of the year at least. At least two providers by the end of the year, I think there'll be even more. So good Bye. time, right? And as the industry is growing, now's the time to do it. People have got their business up and they're going, okay. Now, if if I employ another staff member, I want to make sure they're trained, mm. because safety to me is like the number one. Right, that's why our yeah. tool on our website, like if you go to our members portal, and if you go to the safety and sustainability page, the safety and sustainability project group, it really steps out. It's got the video of Adam's, about um, Adam Pinkard card that they mm-hmm. gave the conference, which is a, you know what mm. was my from the conference. If, if Adam Pinkard did give you minimum goosebumps and in many cases, tears, like it was the most generous presentation, that's now on a website. Just go in, click the page, you'll view it. Then after that, he says, this is what happened to me and it could happen to you. We've then got the video of uh, James from uh, Ludford Smith from Becca that shows you how to explain, how to use the um, safety tool. And then there's the toolkit, and then we've got safety action and provided a checklist. And we're going to be continuing to develop that. So, safety is paramount. Mm. Um, mm. Safety goes hand in hand with training, and then training in those, particularly at that competency level. So, about skills outputs, not just about, oh, how do I. It's going to be about making the product, but it's also yeah. handling food standards, labeling, faisans, all those other things um so you may have that standard and then you get to talk about integrity and standards um mm. and the provenance and now you get to go okay there's real value in this Australian uh mm. product and there's no one dropping it um yeah and, and how it, would
1: you see that being applied to existing distillers so that that training is is great for the the newbies and and, and new entry entries to the market, uh, and people who want to get into the industry, but then you've got the the people that have been doing it for uh, for almost a decade or more. How 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 do they get qualified without having to go through all the qualification process? Well, be like a really a, good question? Great question. So. There is
2: RPLs, and that's that's why having it as a proper regulated registered training authority that meeting the national quality frameworks. That if you can demonstrate those, um, uh, prior learn, learning, or reg- you, you, yeah, right, 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 the, the the RPL the, the recognition of prior learning is if you can demonstrate the competencies. So, if you can demonstrate food handling and manual handling and um, safety, and you don't need to to sit through a 14 hour learning module and you Mm. can get it for that thing. But having said that, this is really about adult learning, right? This isn't about for 14 year olds, it's not about doing a a high school- No. uh, (laughs) Vocational gateway thing, right? This is an adult learning tool. Mm. Um, And you might find, okay, I don't need to do my forklift lifting again, but actually, I probably should do the food standards, or I might want to do, and it'll be modular based. So, the, the certificate three is 80 modules, um, certificate four is 22. That you might go, actually, I can pace my way through this. I do want to do those things. I do want to do my chalk and talk, and I want to do what. Um, and I might not have to do the six hours in a distillery to, you know, sweeping floors and that kind of thing, but I can demonstrate I've done it. and, that's what that's where you get that certification at the end so it's very much focused on grown-ups um, uh, uh, practitioners people in the industry doing their job running their businesses making it accessible for them but then also being able to say um uh, um actually if someone wants to come demonstrate you know at least enroll yourself in this in this program as well but that'll take time right Because. These are cohorts of like 15 and 16 students per time. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, Definitely, I do see an apprenticeship eventually, but we're going to take a couple of years to get to that because there's so much demand already that when you're in cohorts of 15 and 20 or 30, there's going to be a bunch of people that want to kind of get into it to start before we start then kind of opening that way up again. But we'll get to the we want apprenticeships as well because that'll give you that financial incentive to do the hiring um, mm. and give you the... Um, uh, I don't think and, and yeah, as, yeah. As do the for sure. And then if we owned it, we're also going to do safety and uh, And if the industry owns it, why not have an RSA? If you're going to do the RSA for um, um, you're paying someone else, why wouldn't you pay the one that's owned by the industry association and get them to do hmm. the RSA? Um, it'll be modular based, be, some will be shop and talk, and some will be online, and some will be in the workshops.
1: hmm so mm-hmm. some comments, some comments coming through there uh, that yeah, the up- RPL processes are laborious and inaccurate. If you have a decade of industry experience, you won't need or want to Cert for. Sure. However, Cert for are a great for a start to the industry. So they I, certainly they do set a, a bench, a baseline of knowledge and understanding um, for anybody getting into the industry. Uh, I think that would be brilliant personally. Mm-hmm. All
3: right, I've yeah, you a few times.
2: Provided in each state, right? It's got to be an accessible um, kind of thing. And at the moment, and, and then also having those components with, uh, and we'll get the existing providers to build into it. Like we're not going to reinvent the IBD. We're going to go to the, we're going go to go the IBD board in Australia and, and, and ADI and say, hey, you guys run this component of it, and um, let the mm-hmm. students then. It's the qualification at the end. It's not about us. Hmm. We 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 don't. I'm a firm believer in not market disruption, right? If market is already responding, you don't need to go in and take away someone else's business. If market hmm. hasn't, and it needs that kind of industry broad thing, then we'll enter that space. But if someone's doing something really well or, or or good, don't force yourself into that. That's competitive market. Let them do it. So only where there's market failure should we be intervening and then assisting in that way.
3: Hmm.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a uh, very in depth topic, that's for sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. you know, it's something interesting. <laughs> but it is so fascinating, right? It's um, and it'll lead to a standard because that's the um, you need that foundation because you, if you don't, it's one thing to talk about safety if you don't have a mindset of, oh, okay, here we go. Someone's saying about the foundation, exactly.
1: Yeah, standards. absolutely. Great standards right. are very important, and I guess, I mean, you can look overseas for where. There aren't uh, standards in the US where uh, you've got a lot of uh, amateur home distillers who are maybe not um, adhering to the best food safety standards or uh, safety in general standards. So having that accessible training uh, certainly will mean that we'll have a, a better, stronger industry, better, stronger um so staffing so for that industry um mm-hmm. and yeah we won't have people blowing up
2: and if you're a wouldn't you do it of course you go i want to i'm still a hobby but 154 yep. hours over the next three weeks the next you know six months i can afford that
1: um, except that i can't do it except that i can't actually distill at the end of that uh, <laughs> at home That's right. That's right. That's right. do you All see right. that changing the legislation being changed to allow for home distillers.
2: Look, distilling is still a very—you know—our alcohol content is high. Um, it's still a very dangerous product. Uh, it is. Um, I'm a firm believer in sensible. I don't. I'm a firm believer in sensible regulation where it's necessary. Uh, I don't believe in carrying it back just for the sake of it. Sometimes mm. it is. You know, we have a social license to operate. Um, mm. And. We provide, a, we, we, we produce um, a product that can be misused, cause harm. It produced badly and then misused, cause harm. So we don't have an obligation to uh, market our products responsibly. We also have an obligation to produce them responsibly and safely. And in many cases, and as we get further and further, it's going to be ethically and sustainably. Um, and I think some jurisdictions will be, Tasmania is probably the best geared really, like just the whole state runs on hydroelectric power, right? So they'll probably be the first to be kind of a carbon neutral um, uh, um, industry. Uh, but so I think those boundaries keep pushing, but you can not only keep pushing it if you accept that you have a social licence, if you accept the obligations that come with that, and then you take it responsibly, responsibly. by then... Ensuring that your peers are keeping up with it, so we're constantly seeing um, people sometimes inadvertently not doing the right thing, um, and we, as a community, have to do things to police it. Hmm. That's a question.
1: So again, but there's a there's a lot coming in from um, from the audience, so. Sorry, Crafty, I'm going to cut you off again. No, that's <laughs> yeah, it's fine. This is, this is also good. Uh, has anyone got any issues with the huge uptake uh, from small locations, uh, like a 500-square-meter a domestic plot in a suburb, in a garage, as a home-based <laughs> business distillery? Without the safety standards, yeah, that could be a problem. <laughs>
3: and even more so in a
1: domestic situation. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, but, I mean he's he's referring to a legal opera, operation, so they're obviously they'll be going through all the you know all, all their requirements all from a council approved. standpoint, from a from a uh, local government standpoint and that. So yeah. um, compliance. It's about compliance there,
2: isn't it? So Mick you're saying they're being given approval by council or by the tax office? Like that's really one that of those things about multi levels of you know, it's I think conceptually. Okay, all right. Mm. So we uh, might have to look into that a little bit more. Big, big yeah. Big, big yeah. Very liberal laws, around uh, around artisan producers. Um, uh, so uh, you know, so it means that you can't have a bar and you can't sell, but you can sell your own product. And um, mm. in fact, uh, and Queensland is the worst, and some parts of New South Wales are bad, and you know, like it's a, Those council regulations are all all over the shop. I think it's better if we do have a, um, um, uh, I think we do need a case of, I don't mind strong regulation, particularly around safety because we have an industry that must maintain it. So I think that we do do that compliance area around the integrity um, uh, and lifting those standards. I just saw a comment I, I didn't read it because I was thinking about this.
1: I like think said um, safety is very important, and uh, they always enjoy seeing pe- people in the ADA quickly shutting down home distillers. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I'm glad I rephrased it. So I wasn't sure. I'm not sure if it's the ADA—it's not this strain
2: distillers association job to shut down. Uh, no, no, no. no community but- kind of speaks out and says, "What are you doing?" Um, mm. You know, the amount of distillers that say to me, you know, people come in and they show me photos of their still, and I'll be thinking. Why are you showing me that? Like, you're showing me something that is offensive to you. You're not meeting any of the rules, the licensing, the excise burdens that I'm doing. You're basically, why are you showing, why are you rubbing my face into your illegal
1: operation? You're uh, not <laughs> a uh, distiller, you're a moonshiner.
2: Yeah, yeah that's right. So um, uh, so we need to take, so if, so if we accept that it is a social licence, the burdens come with that, then we don't need standards. Um, If we then accept these standards, then we've got to make sure we are maintaining them and and, and living with them. Mm. Do we have clients wrong? This is something we're gonna have to this. There's definitions around particularly those technical standards, particularly around the, um, you know, what is is rum? You know, if I've got the word rum on my label, Mm. it was only like a year and a half, but it tasted pretty good to me. um, Can I do it? I saw an ad that came out today on the shop where it says, it's not a member of ours, but it's, um, it said Australia's first mid strength gin distillery. Mid strength uh, gin distillery. Mid strength gin distillery. And the value proposition says, Hey, don't go drinking all year and then having a month off for dry July. drink moderately throughout the year and have your mid strength, um, gin, uh, yeah. Um, according to the definitions within the excise Act, you can't mm. say the word gin if unless it's 37% alcohol. Yeah. So um, how, can
0: you,
2: how can you be a mid-strength gin distillery? You're a distillery that's producing a mid-strength distilled product, but you can't use that G-I-N word. Um, mm. And so then we get out of ourselves, well, where do we do the compliance, right? Um how does, how does Fireball mark itself as cinnamon whiskey when it's... Oh, it's not a little, whiskey. Yeah, it's 32%, 33%. It's not whiskey. How do they get to the word the name whiskey on their label?
1: Mm. How did uh, Shane Warne, you know, RIP... Yeah, Rest in peace, Warney? yeah, with his, um, his 23 mid-strength G&T cans.
2: <laughs> yeah, because his number was 23, so it comes out at 23%, and it's marketed to women to go, it's a low-alcohol option, right? But you can't say it's gin, because it's not gin. It's not a spirit. Um, uh, we have a new, they like to call it a classification. I'm not sure if the classification yet. They're saying, you know, the non-age spirits. I don't think there is such a thing as non-age spirits. It's not a category as far as I'm concerned. There's people producing non-age spirits. But what happens when they call it things like, um, it's a malt. But they're not using the word whiskey, but they're using other tag words in there that you, from the consumer, implies it's a whiskey. So it's going, yeah. Uh, okay. But they, they they've never use the word whiskey, and they, they don't. They're very careful about that, and they're not very careful. They don't use it, but are they using other language that a consumer think thinks? Oh, this is obviously whiskey, and wow, my god, it's amazing, and it's so cheap. It's because it's, it's miraculously aged in three months. Um, I don't know. I think it's a healthy to have that discussion right we need to um because otherwise we are an industry particularly a, you know last thursday we were 30 years old Sub so obviously beanley who's australia's oldest craft distiller thunderburg have been going for over 100 years there's others that have, but but the modern craft distilling you know what happened when bill and lynn lark opened their distillery 30 years ago last thursday uh yep. Desi, it was a distillery in tasmania for 158 years um and then there's a few sort of viewer well, sort of you that have come since um what are we as a modern industry i like the fact that a definition of whiskey is in three sentences whereas in scotland we have the scotch whiskey act so it's like three and a half thousand words um I like the fact that our uh, our um, we have a very cavalier, you know, what we sell as gin in Australia would never pass mustard in uh, you know. There's some gins I have which I love, and I don't feel a predominance of juniper. Some mm. some Australian gins have so much lemon myrtle that I um I, I, I don't <laughs> it's the juniper there, predominance <laughs> Um that, so, uh, do you think
1: that actually affects then the international marketability of an Australian spirit if it if it doesn't conform to those good point existing standards, international standards?
2: So, I think if you were to produce a, and let's say, a beautiful product like a uh, uh, like a husk, uh, like a like a like an ink gin, right, with that beautiful purple, you know, with that. Um, butterfly pea. Yeah. Thank you. And then you add the tonic and the pH levels change and it swims from the purple to this beautiful pink. If they want to lay London dry, I think the even community might go, oh, hold on. I, I, I don't get it, right? Like that Karoo lightning gin, which is my mind, is the most amazing. Uh, oh, that's yeah, here's what I said earlier. that when you pour it into your glass and over iced, that first tip tastes different to the next one. Tastes, yeah, is the most most sophisticated and changing <laughs> gin. That by the one if you get to the bottom, it's not that your mouth has changed, the the, the product has changed. Um, with that subtle melding of the ice and a little bit of water, it, it is a what well, if you went into the London dry gin, the international do me What are you talking about? They it as a contemporary gin from Australia. Go, okay, I want to try that. Mm. And that's a, a gin, right? Gin is so, you know, it's not just Gordon and Bombay and Vickers anymore. Like the tastes of change. It's like saying there's dinner ale and KB, um, and now you have this whole well, craft beer explosion. They're saying it's going to be more than just VB and Two is New. Um, and gin allows you to do that in a way that. Other products um, don't necessarily, or, or, or certainly, as much and at the volume or at the, at the at the levels as quickly. But what will affect us is if we do drop um, quality standards yeah. uh, and and that and that integrity. And in fact, if we are to maintain the value of our um, our products, particularly our brown brand spirits, and our brown spirits are really the economic powerhouse, right? It's white spirits there's more volume and more money but economics really come to the fore in our brown spirits because of that extra investment um and the value capture like you can't charge two and a half thousand dollars for a bottle of gin and i don't care who you are um and for some Tasmanian whiskey in order to maintain that value you must maintain the integrity you must maintain those standards you must be able to have a provenance story behind it Uh, and if you don't you'll let down not just devalue your product you'll actually devalue the industry in an an incredibly irresponsible way so how do we as an industry how far do we push that enforcement Mm. Um, and then do we ask for some more regulation as blurred as we are you know because it should be about self-regulation and when you've got 20 or 30 producers and a bit of peer pressure, you can do it. But we're now at 400. And every time I blink, there's a new distiller, which is fantastic because, as I've said, the growth is way off. The growth capacity is significant. Um, and then when you're adding export potential, because people love Australian products, particularly post-COVID, particularly with our geographical um, products. It, 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 it genuinely you make it, you will sell it. You know? mm-hmm. um, I mean, mm. obviously selling it's harder than making it, but uh, I mean, is, what I mean is there's capacity for our products if yeah. it's and done
1: properly, in, if it's got in integrity. Mm. And yet yeah, backing that up, uh, <laughs> Prestige Liquids is saying, working a liquor store, it's amazing to see how familiar customers are with Aussie gin distilleries. Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, the education side of it. It's incredible, isn't it?
2: Just um, so about that, right? Consumers' knowledge think about, now. I think about a liquor store 30 years ago. It was a French, Italian. As well. And eventually you go to the back, and there the Aussie wines. Half of it was in boxes, you know, cast. The other half was there was some other. Going to today, the categories are by style, grape, colour, price. Flavor points, flavor, more, then price points. Then, by the way, eventually you can go back to find some international wines. Mm. Mm. The spirit section of liquor stores are growing by between 8 and 10% every year, this footprint of the spirit bit. And it's not just Four Pillars and Bundaberg anymore, right? The Australian spirits are, are, are taking up more and more real estate. There is no reason that the Australian spirits industry can't do what the wine, Australian wine industry did 30 or 40 years ago. But what took them 20 or 30 years, we can do in 8 to 10 years if we're smart about it. And when that happens, it means that a future, if when we walk into a liquor store in 2035, we still exist in any state They of us all down, but if there is still a liquor store, the spirit section is going to be a bigger footprint because as we know, people are drinking less, the high, that they're drinking less but better. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be gins and vodkas and rums and whiskies. And then you're gonna go, oh, but hold on, no actually, I want a Scotch whiskey. And there'll always be a spot for Irish whiskey and London dry gin and urban whiskey and um, Caribbean rum. But in fact, first, 20 shelves. We're all going to be strong products at different categories and price points um, because that's what the wine industry were able to do when they focused and lifted their standards and really put effort in and it took them 25, 30 years to do it. We can, because our volume is higher in there, we can do it faster. Um, and I think even if we just get to, even if we just get to 10% of the market, that um, will this is game changing for
3: mm. us.
2: But it's also an interesting one. I'll tell you another thing. One of the stats that surprised me the most is 80% of the spirits and drinks that are sold in Australia is actually manufactured in Australia. And you go, know, that like BS, right? The RTD category is. Very fast growing. They're not hmm. shipping cans of ninety-five percent water across the seas, right? It's coming in bulk. It's all with Australian limes, Australian sugar, Australian water, creating Australian jobs. Every RTD is made here. And, you know, seven percent of it is the base spirit that comes in under weight. The rest is all Aussie jobs. Some of you know. Australia's largest selling vodka, and I won't name their brand, but you can probably guess which one is made right here with New South Wales wheat down on the south coast and bottled here. And maybe a Russian brand owned by an English company, and <laughs> made it New south Wales, but it's then exported to America. You're sitting in America drinking a Exon dry lime, it's in Australia. Like the, the, these things are all. Yeah, we'll pick up a bottle of Johnny Red. It says bottle in Australia. Um, the, mm. the, the, the industry, it's, it's, it's not as, it's more dynamic than we think, right? It's, um, mm. And these people don't have just as much to gain as having a contemporary responsible, supportive Australian industry. Like um, one of the speakers at our conference was Brian Frye, the amazing director of Pono Ricard we know them mainly in Australia through their wine brands, but they're actually internationally just a spirit brand. And he said to me one day, um, the economics in Australia make any sense that every other country we go to, the domestic market is at least two percent. At least, if four or five, and you take a Bundaberg and drop to two, he said, that means that this industry has no voice in government, no champions, um, and he said, but what do we? What do we as the global players do to help grow your industry? Because you, um, we want to get get to ten percent because that's what the benchmark we're used to. Once you get to fifteen percent of that category, then we might start to have some competitive tension. But until then, it's in our interest to see you grow and thrive and um, make your products and delight your customers. Because every time that someone falls in love with a um, a beautiful craft I and mean, they walk into a bar and say hi, oh, I would insist on my um, on my Melbourne Gin Company for my um, gin tonic. And they say, oh, I'm sorry we don't stop that. So what happens is they go from going, like, so what happens traditionally in Australia, right? strange when they walk into a pub, they know what beer they are going to order before they've even walked in. Mm. Um, generally, some people Kids and go, what have you got for me, mate? I'm sorry, i sure you something. <laughs> no, they're going to order.
3: And then you get pissed yeah. off when you go into that pub and they don't have your beer.
2: So you don't go to that club again, right? Like,
3: Yeah, man, that's it. You go somewhere else.
2: So, <laughs> so they order their wine from the list. Yeah, but for some reason, when they say, oh, they go, I have a gin and tonic. I have a scotch and soda. I have a Coke. And even if something, like, are, which do you prefer? They are, I oh, don't okay. so, that's the point that Brian makes. He says, every other jurisdiction, Australians are the only ones that order gin and tonics, bourbon and cokes, scotch and sodas. Hmm. There is no consumer in any other country that orders their drinks like that. They wow. say, I'll have a Hendrix and tonic. I'll have a, um, uh, Jack and Cola. I'll have a Turkey and dry. Like, she said, Australia is the only place in the world that that happens. And it's because there's no brand loyalty.
3: Mm.
2: And because our product is so, such a tiny component, and we get pushed around and bullied. Oh, well, this, this is not his argument. This is my argument. Why are we doing it? Is because we get pushed around by our big, boring beer barons and our big, boring clubs and say, this is how you should buy your stuff. Because they've mm. got four agreements that treat the consumers like garbage. When they start falling in love with a product, and this is why it's in the, why does Spirits and Cocktails Australia, which is basically the global company, why do they fund our industry so much? Because they go, every time someone falls in love with a craft product, they go into a bar and say, I'll now have, in this example, Melbourne Gin and Tonic. They go, we don't have that. All of a sudden they've gone from a gin and tonic drinker to, oh, well, I'm now a premium provider. So they go, do you want a house, Jim? They go, no, I want Do you don't have? I want a Tanqueray or I want a Bombay. And that's, for them, that's why they make their money. So they go, mm. fall in love with Australian craft because it means that you know, people will step up and they make more money from that. And I tell you, good. Everyone wins, particularly the consumer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, do you want to slip in a question, Crafty, before I... Um progress on to another audience question. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was just going to bring up, you mentioned before we went online, um, that you're off to um, Ireland and, and Scotland soon. Yeah. It's part of the Australian Distillers. Give us a bit of a background on, on that and what, what's that trip about and uh, where do you see those sort of uh, trips going in the
2: future? Yeah, great. So here's the thing. When we struggle with integrity, what does it mean? Where, where do we, what's our destiny? Where are we? Sometimes it's good to go. Let's go back and talk to the originals, right? So at the conference, you may remember, um, Greg Holland, and Cocktails spoke about him speaking at uh, Spirit, the International Experience. Uh, and he's going to the Spirits Europe conference to give a presentation about working with globals. And he said, and if there's any Australian that would like to come, um, let me know when we'll put together a delegation. To which I was outside at the time because it was a big conference to organise. And said to me, "Hey, can you tell me about this uh, delegation you're putting together for Europe?" I was like, oh, "Greg, what have you done?" But um, <laughs> so we basically just said, uh, "So we so Greg and I are presenting at this first Europe conference." Said to them about um, you know one of the issues, integrity acts um, working together. Uh, and they said, if you're coming, can you bring a few, if you put together a few people, we'll organize some, um, tours, right? So I then put a note out to all the members. I only did one, which was a bit cheeky of me. And I do apologize if you missed it and you really want to know about it, but we've got 15 expressions of interest. Uh, we've got about 13 coming. Uh, we leave next Thursday. Uh, we're going to Belfast first and be three days with the Irish, uh, drinks Island, um, and um, uh, yeah, exactly. So someone said you do have to pay for yourself, right? It's not a subsidised thing. You 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 got to pay, um, but it gives you access to. We're literally having three days in Dublin, three days in uh, uh, Edinburgh, in Dublin, uh, Belfast, then Dublin, then Edinburgh, and then three days in the Highlands, uh, and meeting with you know Rowan Co. and Kilbagan, which is the oldest conveniently operating distillery in the world. And we're meeting with the head distiller and the head brewer and the head of marketing to say, this is what we do, this is where brand, this is why we do it. We're having open round tables with the Scotch Whiskey Association about why is there value in having Scotch whiskey? Why do you have your five standards? How do you maintain that integrity and that value? What do you do for compliance of it? Like what do you do to police it? How much do you need to invest in it? And how many do you what do your members value in you being that kind of global policeman for what is whiskey. Um meeting with the Irish Whiskey Association to say what is Irish whiskey, what's the value of it, how do you maintain that, you know, particularly you've got Scotch up here. How does Irish whiskey maintain that value? And what do they need to do to maintain that value? And then how do they capture that um uh, that integrity and those technical standards and that geographical indicating is there a value in that GI, that geographical indicator? Um, because as we move to, is Tasmania whiskey worth geographically indicating? Is Queensland rum? Is you know Victoria gin? Um, uh, those kind of questions. So we've got a dozen, more than a dozen strain distillers coming. Um, you do have to pay your own way. So it's $7,000 plus your airfares. But that then covers all your accommodation, every meal, all your ground transfers uh, and you know, everything from reception at the Irish Ambassadors, the Ambassador to Ireland, Gary Gray, who will have the head of tierlings and the head of the four major buyers and the opportunities that about what's your product and where is it and where's it going. Um, and and uh, it'll be 18 days and then we'll come back. So this one was a bit rough. Um, Realising that there was an appetite for it and that people were saying, yes, it's something that I'm interested in, it signals to me that I will organise another one for... Um, later in the year um, for um, for um, uh, America. And it'll be in relation with the Discus conference so you can actually get that distilled spritz industry council the US or, or the American Distillers Institute or something. Like we'll link it into a conference that you can get that learning from and then they visit those distilleries. And it'll be a product that, to answer Jonathan's question, It'll be something that we'll be able to run every year. And whether it's America one year, UK the next, I think there's certainly an uh, appetite for um, people to do it. Uh, and then on top of that, on top of that, I'd also like to work with some of those global companies about then having some sponsorships as well, you know, to say, can you have an innovative distiller or someone that's doing something really interesting or maybe the Women Distillers of Australia or, you know, someone's arguing, you know, some capacity to have some sponsored positions as well. So those that have the capacity to pay can pay um, and those that don't have the capacity but really want to, will pay. And for those that have absolutely no chance, there will be others that will be able to pick up those capacities. So I wanna build those um, sponsorships and those fellowships. Uh, we've already had some discussions with the Stave, independent Stave company who's having a different fellowship potentially for um, uh, in, over to Louisville. Uh, so there, that's one of the things we're working on, um, having those products, having those opportunities available for those that can um, can do it. But um, should be fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, all
2: work. I'm having to lead it up. There'll be no fun for me. It's just. Oh, yeah, yeah. But
3: look, it's <laughs> a good cool. sure. job. Quite a In many
1: cases, <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, a um, really interesting uh, comment. Uh, <laughs> A really interesting <laughs> comment came in very early on uh, that I just need to flash up on the screen here. Um,
0: Unfortunately, yes. You changed yourself. I'm sw- switching into winter mode. It's fricking cold. I'm in the shed. so <laughs> And i got my big-ass glasses. So, yes, it all, all contributes, of course.
1: We hadn't even gotten to the glasses yet. no. Um,
3: no not <laughs> not. You're the one that raised them oh. tonight, not us.
1: Um, Now, Mike has also asked um, about a rumble he heard that the new government will drop the uh, rebate back to 100K. Have you heard anything about that?
2: Uh, What I'd say first is... (laughs) I think we do have a responsibility to be able to talk about um, question those things. I, I don't think it's fair to say I've heard a rumble, that they're going to do it. If you haven't heard a rumble from anyone that is actually have any credibility. So you can say, are they going to drop it down? I don't think it's, I think it's a bit disingenuous to say I've heard a rumble that they're going to drop it. Um, I certainly am, have not heard any rumbles that they are going to be dropping it. So um, I just be mindful just about the language because it is sensitive. Like the, the rebate, and it's not a rebate, by the way, it's full remission, um, uh, it is, it's in a budget every year. So basically the, the, the law says you pay tax at this rate for this product. Every year the government says we're going to the rebate or full remission at certain rates if you pass certain tests. Um, the interesting thing about now that we've aligned it to 350, wine last year the wet wet was a higher rate because wet came in wet so which is the wine equalization taxes for um wine so the only people that pay excise is fuel tobacco and some alcohol and that some alcohol is beer and spirits beer don't pay it on their first one and a half percent so they get like a bit of a a, a, a lift before they start and then they have a much lower rate than us we pay it from everything that's produced in the moment leaves your bond whether or not you've been paid for it or not right so um, you know you may have 60 day terms they go we don't care pay the rebate now um, and, and then um, and then you know particularly some of your products that may sit on the shelf for a long time some of your suppliers may go why, why would I want to Pay you now can I have 90 day terms or can I pay in consignment? But even if you have consignment arrangements, you still got to pay it um, straight away.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but hold on back to the point wine used to have a higher thing, the wet and then brought down, brought down, and two years ago it was at 500,000. Beer, wine, and spirits are now at 350. So all of us are on the same playing field, right? If it was to it drop to 100,000. They would have a fight with every wine grower, every small wine grower, every craft brewer, and every craft distiller in the country. It is very unlikely, now that we've got that parity between the three producers. speak as
0: uh, one voice, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so there's always pressure from, you know, government and treasury to go, oh, you know, it's, you know, you know, like it's one of those things, it's, it's, it's a lot of money, right? Like it's um, $225 million over the forward estimates. But when you work it down, you go, actually, well, how much is that? Divide that by five. So just this year, that's $40 million, you go, and, and beer versus um, spirits, what's the percentage? You go, oh, actually, this looks like a $25 million industry incentive, the spirits industry. Yet the last... CPI increase took back $80 million from our category. So <laughs> as they do it 25, they take mm-hmm. back 85 three months later, right? So um, mm. uh, they know that it's not a structural um, problematic to maintain that threshold. Um, I'm mindful about the notion of should we push for to increase the threshold even further. Um and certainly we do want to give every advantage we can, but part of me thinks you don't want people harvesting rebates. We really need structural adjustment within the whole category. Like it's like whilst we're the third highest, it just means that small players are gonna um get that tax freeness. But it's as soon as you've sold more than fifteen thousand bottles, your business is broken. Um, so That's the really, that's the really significant change because otherwise we'll still just be 400 micro businesses, not actually businesses that actually running profitable, employing people, capturing Mm. the consumer changes. um, And it's the headline rate I'm really, really focused on. I wanna continue to get, um, maintain that 350 remission. I look at further industry incentive plans like metal manufacturing grants. Um uh um, sorry, I, mean, I, didn't, <laughs> but I didn't suggest that it was dodgy, but uh, it was a good but I just want to be careful. Tax is really important to our industry, right? People <clears> watching, <throat> they're very careful. Um, we work really hard to make sure that we don't get it wrong and that it's about the right signalling for us Why i'd like to see what we the category are pushing for in the next um the new government is to say what is the scope scale and size of the industry can we have a government inquiry into what is contemporary australian spirits category like the wine industry did 30 years ago instead of wine australia when there's this amount of jobs these places these are the skill level this is the gender mix and the whatever mix, and this is the contribution they're providing to the economy. What do we as a government and policymakers need to do to allow them to thrive and not hold them back? And that's what we're really significantly pushing for this. Uh, and we would have I'm quite confident we would have had in the last government if they had been reelected. Um, and um, they've really showed a lot of things. And the new government, we spent a lot of time working very closely Um, Um, When there's a change of government, you kind of got to re-educate and get them going again, but um, it's not going to slow us down, and we have some key people. In fact, there's a distiller, the new member for Hasluck is a distiller, Um, and um, uh, so she'll... uh, she was at the Australian Distillers Conference. You've got injuries goes, "Oh, hi, I'm the candidate for Hesla. I was like, "What are you doing here? Shouldn't you be campaigning?" And she's like, "I should, but um, I also run a distillery, and this is my husband, and she's an amazing, um, amazing person, and will make a fantastic member of Parliament." Um, but the, those policy levers mm-hmm. are around about having responsible, real growth, not sugar hits, um, and you know about, and and also. I know I'm a bit rambling now, but I don't like when governments pick winners, you know? Like grants shouldn't be about here's ten million dollars for you, or here's five million dollars for you, or three million dollars for you. Because what happens if you're the person next to you? Yeah. Okay, well What about me? Yeah, that's not fair. Like they mm. should be about lifting all boats, right? It should be about industry. That's mm. why the educational That's why Victoria, the the grants, in Victoria, the $10 million fund in Victoria is so much more different to the modern manufacturing grant. And modern manufacturing grant is an important um, grant and rewards innovation. And if you can demonstrate it, it's a very contestable product. And I can assure you, for the few winners that were able to get significant grants, there are many, many, many that provided really comprehensive business plans that weren't successful. And it cost them a lot of money to put in each of those applications. Um, but this is what happens when you have those grants that are based on picking winners. Uh, and I, as a preference, prefer all boats that are about mm. training, sustainability, education uh, and, and accessible grants that maybe maybe the rate is lower but your guarantee of success is higher if you can demonstrate your meeting government um, commitments. So mm. back to the next question. Do I think it's going to drop me 350? No, I don't. Do I think the new government will meet the uh, uh, former coalition government's promise of increasing the, what was the cellar door grant to distillery doors, to to distillers and brewers? I'm hoping we're going to get that in. Uh, And then I'm also hoping that we're going to get some funding for uh, extending the blockchain, the blockchain pilot that was ran, which is, is just really a story for another day, but I hope we get some funding for that to get some transparency in the way that taxes collected and produce and making it easier for craft distillers to just their text to become just a thing that is just done by the, the robots. Um, and so that's what I'm really hoping for. So I'm not expecting it to drop. Having said that, it can at any time. but Unlikely. <laughs> but it's unlikely if we have no voice. Yeah. If we didn't give a fuck and no one joined the association um, and no one was able to demonstrate that we can organise um, and get our press involved and do those things. Sure, they'd take it away like that. It's $25 I love. If we maintain our activism, make sure everyone's a member, sign up, participate, come to our conferences, invite them to the conference, they go far out, of the size of you guys, invite your local members of parliament to your distilleries, tell them that you've got a new release, don't send them a bottle or anything, like, they don't need that stuff. Let them know you're here, um, and that's the magic.
1: Mm, mm. And certainly, the the um, the uh, programs that you're looking at with the training and uh, education side of things will help to, I guess, lend give give more leverage to you as well. To say we are training and meeting those minimum safety requirements and all those things, we've got our certificates in distilling and whatnot where we're putting in place all of these things as an industry that will then allow the government to, I guess, have more faith that it's worthwhile well, yeah. doing.
2: If you don't, and here's the thing, why industry does this turns up we're producers, right? We are manufacturing. Manufacturing is dying around the country. Yeah. We're all manufacturers.
3: Hmm.
2: And, it is a genuine a farm. We're working with our farmers. Mm. We're yep. getting up our, our weeds and our and and then we're looking within the supply chain. We are telling a ferociously local story. And as artisan producers, we're providing honey pots to people are coming around us. Like there's bread makers and honey makers and mm. butchers that are turning up to be near us mm. and the wineries have to do it where the rain falls, right? We can actually do it in a much more portable um, yeah, yeah. portable way. And then the value, you know, we take $300 a ton worth of uh, grain and turn it into $30,000 a ton worth of excise. Like they want, to, they want to see us thrive in what we do. Mm. Um, and as long as we do it in a way that is... Mature response. It doesn't have to be mature, right? Because they know we're nascent. They know we are still learning. And in many ways they go, actually, choose us to jump on that uh, situation where if you are open to, let us assist in a way that makes... The- and when I say government objectives, government objectives are usually community objectives. Government doesn't go, There's a big national, international government um, it's about meaning social, you know your, your social license to operate um, in a responsible way that doesn't steal from consumers, that gives them what they expect they're asking for, um, and um, uh, and in a way that allows you to um, that allows them to celebrate. They go, yeah, let's be proud of what it is that um, let's be let's be let's make everyone's heard of this brand. Let's make this brand just as.
3: Popular in current consumers' minds. Mm, mm. So it's also the, to...
0: the tourism aspect of it as well, too, isn't it, uh, Paul? You know that's that's a huge draw card you know, as, as far as uh, potential revenue, and government can see that. that you know, it's it's uh, tourism and wineries go hand in hand, and distillers and, and tourism can go hand in hand. So there's mm. there's good dollars to capture there for government.
2: <laughs> Craig, I can't. I, I don't know of an industry besides uranium that has a higher value add for the thing that they take out of the ground to sell to the consumer that then
1: provides the other <laughs> like, sequined, We're consumer. one below
2: uranium. <laughs>
1: and arguably, spirits are a lot less explodey.
2: Hmm. <laughs> I think so. Like it's like, like it, it, it genuinely. And, it, and people also becoming ferociously local, right? Mm. I'm sure, Craig. People say to you as a distiller, where, where, where did you get the, you know, your single malt? Where did you get your malt from? Where do you get your barley? Yeah. The, like they want it. They want. Yeah. They they want, want to it. know more? They want they to know, know more. more.
1: Yeah. And that, uh, that's one of the things that we've certainly observed in in all the conversations that we've had with Australian producers is they are all using and promoting Australian product, Australian sourced, Australian grown, Australian owned. Um, so all of that money that is being spent in producing the product is staying in the country. Yep. And then the money that is spent buying the product is also staying in the country yep. and, and coming back to the country. So it, 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 I think from, a, from an economic powerhouse, it, it's a no-brainer really to support the growth of that?
2: Yeah, from the farm, glass is a very job-heavy supply chain. Yes. Very, like, very job-heavy. So I can see there's a question there that says, My, don't push things to the consumer. It's not the consumer's job. It's your job. Like, mm. you can. Your job is to tell the consumer about how good your product is. And then as long as it tastes good, then they might be really willing to retell it. Mm. And if it tastes good and it has integrity and it's consistent and it's reliable and it's at a good price point, then they'll tell your story. But mm. don't push it to them. The, 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 the onus is on us as an industry to tell our story. It's not on anyone else. It's not on... The consumer or someone else in the supply chain or the farmer or government or MP, it's on us. And that's why we're now, we've spent a couple of years getting more organised. Um You know, some things take time. Right? The, the the members portal on our our website is, from a consumer perspective, it's just a website, right? Like you go on and go australiandestillers.org.au. Oh, thank you. Um, and you can yeah. see it oh, wow, it's just a website. Okay, you have a conference, you have a thing. You Okay, how do I join? The most important thing is how do I jo- join? Um, it's got to be the most affordable industry association you'll ever join. And if you think the money's a lot, I'd recommend look at other industry associations and you'd be quite surprised at how comparatively it is affordable. Um, and the value you get from that, when you go to that members portal and you get to see the resources that are there, and those safety toolkit loan that is worth thirty thousand dollars, you get for your thousand dollars a year, you get access to the conference, you'll get access to our as we populate that members portal, our members resources, um, you'll see that. But most importantly, it's the industry association that's doing the uh, heavy lifting, uh, and then you can come back and. Once a year, you can also come to our conference, which I think, where we started this dance earlier today, was mm-hmm. <laughs> well, probably the best value, most interesting, and most fun industry conference uh, you could ever be to. And I've just spent, well, I spent the first half of the week in Canberra because there's a new government and a new ministry and corpus meetings and things. But then I spent the second half in, uh, uh, the last two days in Melbourne, looking at potential sites for our next conference, because what I think is as an industry to get together, to give, any, to give a conference that allows people to do their networking, and then to talk about what is the future of the industry in a way that is productive, accessible, um, and and meaningful, right? So, uh, and, a, and, a for, and when I say accessible, I mean, it's gonna be affordable. So sometimes people say, oh, should we have it in Perth or Darwin? I say, yeah, sure, that'd be lovely. But unless there's a jet star flight to get there mm-hmm. and you can add an Airbnb, you're excluding half your membership. Mm-hmm. So, we can do mid year conferences on technical standards or something more interesting, like something not more interesting, something interesting and deep diving in exotic locations. But our general get together should be the cheapest place I can get to and drive there if I want to, and maybe do a who are on the way to get there, but it's going to be Jetstar flights and and Ibis hotels. Uh, mm, so that yes. for the next couple of years it's going to be Melbourne, Sydney, maybe Gold Coast, or Brisbane, and then I'll be up to which where our most of our sponsors uh, are, are, are happy to provide it because um, you know when I asked when we did the consumer feedback from the last conference, and said did you think it was value for money? People said yes. Generally, there's a few that said, No, I didn't think so. And for them, I think, Well, what did you expect? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) booze alone. Then that's so. I don't know know how anyone didn't find it was a value for money, but but that's um, uh, but but it's a case of going, How do you make sure that everything we do is member focused and members accessible? and give people the chance to go, how do I participate? Because it's a participation that moves the, you know, moves
1: the dial on the radar, particularly when we do our engagement. So when do you think the next conference will be? Is it going to be an annual thing or a biannual thing? Or what are you? It'll be annual. Uh,
2: one of the questions we asked was, we used to do it in October.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's with the
2: AGM, so annual general meeting, and the conference at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because of COVID, pushed it off. Uh, then with COVID, we then had the annual general meeting in October, and it was a Zoom meeting, so similar format to this, but not as entertaining. Uh, and then we had our conference in April. So in our survey, we asked people afterwards, do you want them still split? Or do you want the, the AGM at the conference? The majority, 65 to 35, said keep it split. Like, keep the important... Um, but not so dynamic, but important enough. um online and, and capacity. I think people liked at the conference, we then had that open mic session at the end, which wasn't quite like an AGM kind of discussion point, but it was certainly a free-flowing. Mm. And we were all prepared for Crafty to drop several more tough questions and he didn't. So he did a big, big out there. Big yeah, out of the open mic. Yeah, us
0: down, crafty. There a lot of tough questions there.
1: there. We were waiting for it, and then, and then
2: <laughs>
1: just next time, just just feed him a list of tough questions that you really
2: want to <laughs> <have to answer. laughs> we were waiting for. It. Instead, he was nice. He was very constructive. He's like, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we will do it annually. Uh, we asked people did they is April a good time and they said it's much better than October October mm-hmm. was the lead up to biggest time of the year yeah uh, there was a few producers that like like in the southern highlands and things that they go this is actually the lead up to autumn or something so it was kind of a bit strange for them whereas and, and I get that it will never be a perfect time for anyone about 30 percent that came said I don't care when it is like just do whatever you want like it doesn't matter Make time. Right. Uh, but yeah. so really, I think we're going to look back at end of March or April. This year, next year, uh, Easter falls like on the 9th of April. So it kind of marks with a bit and mm-hmm. AFL starts. And then if we do it in Melbourne, we also to be mindful of the last weekend in April will be Formula One. Formula so there's one, a bunch yeah. of things oh. that you've got to keep in mind. But I think we'll go back to April or uh, end of March or April. Uh, it'll be either Sydney, Melbourne or Gold Coast. Uh, it'll be around that same price point, like $500, 550 uh a uh, ticket, but that gives you a reception. So Sunday night, full day Monday, and regional tours. Um, I hope we'll get just as many sponsors, if not more. Um, because people one of the things that people did tell us they wanted to see what are the industry suppliers doing. Like it was they said, you know, who are the barrel brokers? Who are the hmm. Companies. What are the IMSs I should be using? What are these things? Uh, but in the meantime, between now it's,
3: and the... definitely an area that I'm looking forward to seeing growing over the few, future years. Mm. It's,
2: it's,
3: and, uh, and speaking
1: of... Quite
2: tiny
3: enough the sponsors. So mm.
2: we discovered them quite late in the conference. Because and- it's not sponsors, right? They're actually industry providers, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well,
3: and, and, sorry, the providers, yeah. So- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, standing out there by the lonesomes and um, yeah, it'd be nice to see a few more of them come in. And,
2: and they've been with us from the beginning, right? So they're um, like all the sponsors are supply chain professionals and mm. yeah, it's like almost a trade show. So we're gonna change that this year's conference was very bit too heavy in content. Next years will make it a, a lot more accessible for more networking and more
1: opportunities to engage with our industry suppliers. Mm. Well, speaking of industry suppliers, oh. we have sponsors who are industry suppliers, and we should um, I, a, I,
2: have I a, like I what have. you did there. <laughs> yeah, it
1: was a good segue, <laughs> Luke. I try. I try. See, I'm, I, I'm oh. amazed. I, I've survived this long. I think it is the alcohol, most definitely, and two okay. bottle kills will do that. Um. But yeah, so yeah. barrel brokers. Speaking of uh, uh, Robbie, definitely oh, want to hit yeah. up Robbie for uh, all your barrel needs. I, I believe he found you a pretty special barrel crafty, did he? Which one?
0: Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did.
1: Yeah, yeah, that one,
0: the one behind me, the Armagnac cask. Yes, yes, Very have awesome. you filled that yet? Yeah, yeah, that was filled uh, last year actually, December.
1: Oh geez, that's old news then. So yeah, that's come and talk to me in three or four years on that one. Yeah, right. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but yeah. yes, Robbie found that for you, and he found that uh, after a, a, a just a, a passing conversation <laughs> with you about it, I believe. Correct. And then he yeah, came back cool. saying, "I've found you this barrel." Yeah. Yeah. So. He...
0: Very attentive, and uh, he's got his feelers out there. Is well connected now. Um, barrel source from the US, from France, from Spain, from Portugal, and others as well, as well as is Australian. Crafty, is that where we got our honey barrel from as well? No, that was someone else. That was someone else. Oh, well, it was was years ago, I, don't I don't it. That. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. Not a sponsor. <laughs>
1: Burns Welding uh, Fabrication. Burnsy. Now, you've you got your steel from Burnsy. Correct, I have. And many and others in Australia have as well. Is one of the most prolific steel builders in Australia right now. Mm. Um, uh, and yes, he has said, uh, don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah. Um, but that's fine. Still call him. Yeah. Even for a jack. I'm sure he'll love it. Yeah, He's like, got he it.
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, nothing but time that blow. All the time in the world, uh, youngie YN Oak Cooperage, uh, and the Barossa. Barossa. Uh, we do still need to get down there and uh, make some barrels with him. Uh, he had, and we and we do, we also still have our our, our prize, uh, for when we get to, I think we said that was it the 800 mark. Oh, I think we are a bit ambitious there. I think we were really fucking ambitious there. But you never know. Like, maybe we might get another 600 or so tonight. I mean, we've had a few. Come on. So, um, yeah, if we get to 800, then we've got uh, – you can be a Cooper for a day. Cooper um, for the day
0: at YNR.
1: Yeah, that would be wicked. And, of course, Andrew's just an awesome – Awesome Mm. bloke who, what he doesn't know about wood isn't worth knowing, really. Uh, Same goes for Transwood, just to skip down to the bottom uh, row there. Uh, Again, another fantastic uh, Cooper down in Tassie. Uh, Both Andrew uh, and the guys from from, uh, Transwood, we've got an episode with each of them. So feel free to go back through the back catalogue on our website, shootingtheshit.com.au, and uh, yeah, learn all about the good woods and the bad woods yep. and, you know, woods in general. The good woodiness. Mmm, woody. <laughs> and then we got Save a Glass. <laughs> and then we've, save a Glass. Yeah, well, hold on. Let, let's go for back up. Requirements? Let, 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 let's, okay, Save a Glass. Yes, for all your bottle requirements. Um, yeah. Hit them up. They got bottles. They got glass. And can you save money with them? Is that the idea that they're... Premium glassware. Premium glassware at a saver price. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, there we are.
2: That's, that's a new yeah. thing, right?
1: that's, <laughs> I, I miss my calling in marketing. Actually, you I do. was in marketing yeah. for a little while and I got out of that. Uh, CCL labels. Uh, Crafty gets his labels from CCL, except when he's trying to print them himself on a printer that keeps on giving him drama. Uh, Mm -hmm. but that's a whole nother old man clouds
0: for another day, yeah.
1: (laughs) But CCL, certainly hit him up for your label needs. And uh, last but not least, uh, Wild Walgen Natural Spring Water, which is the water in all the crafty stuff. So you love his gin, you love his vodka, uh, you love I am, you love I am too. Um, you love the uh, time and wages, bumblebee. All of those are using wild and water from New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And now it sounds like a craftworks plug. <laughs> well, I'm and on that note... well, no, we've had a number of comments in the uh, in the chat this evening yeah. uh, talking about people drinking. I am and enjoying yeah. it and comparing it, saying that, uh, here we go, here's one, uh, drinking I am and Starwood side by side, and man, I am is next level shit. Now, I'll, you've got to attribute a bit of that um, next levelness to the water.
0: Oh, oh absolutely. Water, water is an important factor, for
3: sure. We do aim to be better than shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm so glad. (laughs) Shoot high. Shoot high, Todd. Aim for the fucking stars. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Time to wrap it.
0: Uh, uh, Oh, that tickled me. That really tickled me. (laughs) Paul, thank you very much, my friend. It was... um, Informative, deep dive, um, multifaceted, and um, a lot of people would have, would have uh, learned a lot about Australian distillers uh, and what it's doing and where it's going and the importance of working with government and uh, having those good communication channels, which obviously uh, you and others are bringing in that at, at a very uh, high level, which is
2: is great for the industry. We're in, we're in solid hands here. And I think, and I really think the, as the industry kind of grows, right? There used to be a few kind of, you know, Bill Lark is probably the best story in the business. And every time I'm him, I fall more and more in love with him every single time. I managed to spend an hour and a half on a bus with him on Wednesday, Thursday afternoon, which was just, you know, you go, oh, how are we so lucky? But my point is, we all have a responsibility to speak up. Um, This live stream itself doesn't matter. So thank you for for the contribution that the three of you make to the industry. And I do appreciate that you do it because you're actually talking about what's important, what differentiates us. I know it's shooting the shit, but it's also shooting the shit. It's shooting the real shit, not just the fake shit. And that's what makes the category better, the industry better, consumers more aware, Lifts our standards internally, um, and so good on you guys. So Luke, Todd, Craig, appreciate it. Um, and as an industry, we thank you for your contribution that the three of you make. Um, Craig, Craig, and Craig, you oh sorry, crafty. I'm always I don't do nicknames. You know, I always like to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, call me Craig. Okay, I'll be known so, to be called Craig.
0: You,
2: you support the industry. Like you have Bill Lark's ethos, which is. Support first, yeah. Someone's gonna say, love it. Support each other, learn from each other, teach each other. We have a growing, we have to lift all boats. Uh, and I think the this this live stream and however it then manifests as a podcast or whatever else is a contribution to that. So, thank you from from the industry. So, well done. Cool, thank you very much. Hey,
0: Thanks for your
1: passion, yeah. Thank you, for your passion. thank you very much, uh, Paul, for your passion yeah yes. commitment to the uh to the industry as a whole um uh, yeah i uh, i'm i'm in awe at the amount of information that you've that you've got spinning around in your head there and then the the knowledge and and, and quite obvious passion that you're showing for it so uh mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's awesome to see and um yeah knowing that there is somebody right at the top there uh who is as passionate, is uh, very reassuring.
2: <laughs> it is. And we also, like, our committee of management is the real leaders. Like, the, the board that I serve is committed to the industry, and they're fantastic. So I'm just, um, they give me extraordinary direction. Working under Steve Rogan and Cam and all that, the whole board is fantastic. So it's really good. Mm. The
1: industry is in very strong hands. Board mm. mm. of strong hands. It's, it's awesome. Thank you very yeah. much um thing. all right so thank you everyone for uh joining us and participating in all the questions and i think this is probably one of the uh least more interactive more interactive and uh least talkative from crafty's side yeah we've uh, been very quiet uh, we've, but we've had space
0: provide uh, the platform <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and it's
3: been I actually added- thought he had frozen yeah. most of the end, most of the night. <laughs> hey, Lisa, yeah, I,
2: I also give you, can I give you one of these jackets for? Like you give us a price, <laughs> I'll give you. A, I'll send you a cap and a jacket for you to pick at random. Maybe one of your viewers or something. And,
1: um, yeah, wicked done. That'll yeah, be great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. If you want to throw in like <laughs> three extras as well, then like don't okay. Well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Surprise. Australian Distillers need all the money they've got.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, right. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, please, if you haven't already, please join the Australian Distillers Association uh, and uh, get your membership in. Of course, it goes to all the good work that Paul and the team are doing uh, to help and support the industry and seed advance. Of course, please uh like and subscribe to uh to us uh follow us on all the different things youtube facebook itunes spotify leave a review give us some feedback give us some comments um yes we know the audio quality can be crap at times but you know whatever it's it's all about the content um and uh yeah please join us again in Two weeks. Weeks?
2: Two, oh, weeks. two weeks is it going to be
1: two weeks we've done one every week for the last three weeks so i mean yeah, no, I. And two I weeks. yeah we're meant to be every two weeks but you know we've got There's a lot, lot of people to people squeeze soon. in yeah 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 so actually there we go next uh thursday the 16th of june holy hell we're at the middle, middle of the year uh we've got robbie from barrel brokers from oh, barrel oh, yes, yeah. So that'll be
0: a good, good discussion.
1: See what Robbie's
0: yeah. up to. And, uh, he's, See, uh, he's talking about the man. other side
1: of wood, or barrels already made, as opposed to making them. I think that'll be really interesting. Um, and um, yeah, like subscribe, follow, join the ADA, get your membership in. And Australian Distillers. Uh, join the what? Join the Australian, Australian Distillers. Distillers. Australian join the Australian au See, I'm retraining myself. It's it's like good yeah, but- it takes time. <laughs> it does everyone likes an acronym though? <sighs> We're, We're lazy. just you know, lazy like, like that. You know, and of course, if you are a member, get in the members' portal. All your all your good stuff's in there. Uh, nice. Thank you very much. We've got a lot of thank yous coming in as well. Phil, thank you. Will, thank you. And yes of course so thank you everyone have a good evening and we will see you again on the 16th cheers cheers, cheers.